tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week's guest is Dana Santis, and she is the mobility maker. As a former corporate world exec, Santis has since translated her rise and grind work ethic to her passion of making better bodies. She's worked with over 40 teams and innumerable athletes to develop the best approach of incorporating sports-specific mobility and breathing tactics. As we find out, the drive to improve performance even at the base level of breath control will reap the benefits of overall wellness. That means feeling less physically inhibited, feeling more in control of emotional responses, and generally being able to tackle life's challenges one well-crafted breath at a time. Think it's fluff? Science doesn't lie, people. Get a step-by-step assessment by the master herself as she takes the crew through a typical diagnostic. She says that this five-minute drill is all a team needs to realize how jammed up they are, and more importantly, the value of getting unjammed. Don't worry, it's not your typical yoga sesh, so namaste right where you are. This is episode 176. Power Athlete Nation, what is up? You've got Luke and John here in the steamy SoCal, 87 degrees, internal temperature at the office. And then we've got Tex over in D.C. ready to bring you through another episode of the world's premier podcast in strength and conditioning. No joke, there are people on Reddit that are calling it the best podcast in strength and conditioning. Well, it's because it's the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Which, that's like a synonym, right? Well, yeah. I mean, You're the rhetoric guy. I don't know on computer well, science. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so, Tex, what's going on? Are you, uh, are you landed and grounded from your travel? Are you, is your mind right? What, I I'm, still, I'm still struggling, bro. I, I know you're still struggling, but we got a trip on Thursday, so I, I'm feeling grounded, and then I got to pick it up back up again for Thursday. But um, yeah, I'm here for three weeks, and then back down to the greatest country in the U.S., Texas. So feeling good, though. Oh, lucky you. Well, enough about us. We are really not the most interesting people on this episode. Uh, we're honored to have Ms. Dana Santis on the line here, uh, joining us on this episode of Power Athlete Radio. Listen, I, like I'm reading the bio here, and I, I can do you no justice, and I think that maybe you have this little more rehearsed, uh, but Dana is essentially a guru in what we would call posture and position, and relating that to our one of our favorite questions, like, hey, what are you training for? Because things have a little context uh, and how you're going to give somebody some, some advice. So Dana, why don't, you, why don't you just let it rip and let us know what everything's all about here. Okay. Uh, well, I generally don't call myself a guru and, um, and I don't really have it uh, rehearsed. The whole you know, social media, even my website and all of that, putting that out there and talking about myself like that, I always feel like it's so narcissistic. Um, and so it's tough. So I don't really well, we, have these. Certainly well, relate. this is, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> this is social media in the world we live in where I think if you're not a uh, narcissist of the highest order, nobody will pay attention to you. Uh, I mean, this is, uh, this is what we wrestle with daily. And uh, Luke and I talk about it. It's like, you know, you almost have to become the, uh, so I, I have, the only analogy I can give it is I have twin daughters that are almost five years old. And the people uh, that, that seem to do the best on the internet uh, are slightly, well, actually, no, they're twice as needy as my daughter. <laughs> as a four year old. I mean, like, it's like, look at me, look at me. I mean, it, and it's true because unfortunately, the best information and sometimes the greatest delivery and, you know, the most amazing uh, product, or, know, system product or system is overshadowed by, 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 by know, just, some abs. Yeah, by just fucking nonsense. Yeah. 
But we digress. Sorry, Dana, to cut you off. So, but we, you're, you're, you're in good company. So uh, go ahead, proceed. Sorry. Okay, yeah. So just so you know, I kind of wrestle with that. It's, it's, not, it's not a fun thing to toot your own horn. Um, so instead, I'll just tell you, you know, what I do. Um, I, I, I work on breathing, uh, movement, and um, mindset with professional athletes. So I always say it is my goal to help people breathe, move, and feel better in their bodies and happier and healthier in their lives. And I guess that kind of sounds re rehearsed, but that's the one thing that I've really thought about. Like, how can I say that succinctly? What is it I'm trying to do? And my niche is professional athletes, but increasingly, um, because I, I'm blessed to have this role as the, and I hate to use the word expert, but that's kind of how I'm referred to, the yoga expert for CNN Health. And so that gives me this broad platform to reach anybody and everybody. And what I really love about that platform is that my editors rock. They, they let me not dumb it down. Um, they really don't push back on me. Uh, where, you know, to, I've written for some other resources, and I won't say what they are, um, but I, I feel like it's garbage. Like I give them something good, and, and here I will toot my own horn. I can write. And so I'll give them something that's well-written, but I haven't watered it down because I think that, especially when it comes to your body, you better understand your body more than you understand your freaking iPhone, right? So why are we going to, we don't dumb down all these apps on our iPhone. I, it's, it's, most of the instructions on that stuff is so complicated, right? And it takes us forever to figure it out. But then we have to make up these fake names for body parts and act like people, you know, don't understand it. And if something goes wrong with your body, immediately you need to go to somebody else who studied it, who gets it. And I don't believe that that's the case. There's, there's a lot that we can learn about our own bodies and be empowered. And again, breathing, moving, and mindset are huge. And we can change a lot of that with just a little bit of understanding. So that's what I like about CNN. I get to um, put information out there without watering it down too much. That said, I can't write for them like I would for you know, the NSCA or um, like I do at a Perform Better lecture. But that's, uh, yeah, so that's, that's what I do there. And then I said my niche is professional athletes. And so I have had a pretty awesome, like, past 12 or 13 years since I jumped into this. And I've worked with athletes from, I don't know, it's probably more like 50 or so professional sports teams across all sports. I've worked with dozens of teams themselves. Right now I have contracts with five teams. Um, I've, I started my career doing a lot in the NHL, but now it seems like I'm doing a lot more in major league baseball, which is really fun. And they're a different kind of athlete. Um, but John, I've done some stuff in the NFL with some NFL players and, uh, where the baseball players as athletes. Yeah. It's organized grab ass. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> some of them don't refer to themselves as, as well, athletes yeah, it's, either. So it's, it's all right, but it's, it's very little athleticism going on there. Hey, hey, hey. It, Anyway, it, it's a different kind of athleticism. Can we just say that, you know? Uh, I mean, more agree to disagree. <laughs> no. I, I, you, they have to be prepared to go from, you know, full stop to full throttle and back again. And yeah, like six times a game, I'm told. Yeah. No, we're just, we just, we got a guy that we work out with who's a baseball player and he, we just give yeah, him a hard time. He, so we just got to keep uh, yeah, it going, stay true to it. Yeah, he's in, he's working his way up through the system right now with, mm -hmm. uh, with the 
devil race. And um, he's a moron. <laughs> so and I where say, is he? And I say that in like the most loving way, but I, I keep telling him every day, I'm like, be a professional baseball player as long as you can. Be a professional athlete as long as you can. Don't get into the real world. It's really still tough out there. Like, <laughs> stay in professional sports. Oh. And guys in baseball can stay there forever. Football, short life, lifespan. Mm-hmm. So your buddy, um, well, and just so you know, they don't call it the Devil Rays anymore. There's some the religious, it's the whatever. Yeah, it's the, the Rays. Rays. But when I first started working with them, like eight or nine years ago, they were the Devil Rays. Uh, but I do work with them, and actually, it's Fall Instructional League now, which is why my schedule is so crazy. And thanks for changing the time for me because of this. Um, the days are so nuts. But is he? You said he's working his way up. Where is he in the farm system? Uh, you know? I. I can't remember. Yeah, every time he like he explained it to me once, and um, I was like, "That sounds like laborious." Like I know he was one place, and then he went over, and like in the course of three weeks, he had played on like three different teams, and so like they moved him up from one, and it's pretty interesting. So mm-hmm. I know he was. Is he in Montgomery? No, well, he was in Sarasota, and then he was in somewhere in the south, and then he went back, and yeah, dude, it's. Short answers were not too sure. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to ask him. Like for me with football, it was so much easier. You go to a college, you play, you get drafted by a team, either you make it or you don't. There is real yeah. farm system. Practice squad or or go yeah. home and get a real job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Well, but, well yeah. So sorry about that, Dating. Go that's on. okay. And so I, I don't know. I was going to see if I I knew him. Um, although I am terrible with names, and when you work with hundreds of, especially in the farm system, the young guys. Um, they've got to have a pretty strong personality to kind of stand out. I always say to them, listen, guys, um, until you're on a roster that I can look up all the time, it's really hard for me to remember your names. So just bear with me. But, um, but anyway, so maybe just ask him if he's ever worked with me. Uh, that'd be cool. Uh, and don't give him such a hard time. He is an athlete. Uh, but where was See, I? That's the, I digress. that's the problem is that we're in this kinder and gentler society where like no longer you, you know, I firmly believe ridicule is one of the most powerful forms of motivation. And, um, I'm, I'm aware. I'm, I know. I know you're aware. <laughs> okay. Well, so we have an expert though. Let's, why don't we, maybe we can learn something. Why don't we empty our cups, John, and maybe we can be nicer people to one another. Look at that cup. It's <laughs> Wait, did someone tell you guys it was an, it was an expert in niceness? You just you said I you could learn from me about that. You're into breathing yoga and you work for CNN, so he assumes that you're an expert. And then I'm not, all right. Now well, I Fox I news, oh, then we would have a real problem. Oh boy. Okay. Well, so I do I do appreciate happiness and I do try to be compassionate, but I also tend to have a slightly short fuse. So people piss me off. Um, so I don't know if I'm the right person to teach you niceness. <laughs> I'm not the Dalai Lama. Um, and I have not met him. Uh, like uh, Dan John, didn't he say he met the Dalai Lama? Yeah. 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 No, not, he won't up me too. So I don't know. <laughs> Dude, that's, you know what? That might be the classic one up being like, oh, really? That's great. Have you ever met the Dalai Lama? I had tea with him. I mean, that would be, a, that's a pretty good one upper. Mm-hmm. And he said on your deathbed, you'll have eternal happiness. Well, I had the caddy for him. <laughs> so it was kind of weird. But uh, uh, so, like, how did you get into all this? I mean, you know, obviously, um, you know, you created a, you know, somewhat of a niche. I mean, you know, you think about like, you know, how many professional teams are bringing in somebody that's uh, a yoga expert to come in and teach them breathing and, um, you know, really just more importantly, uh, uh, 
I mean, obviously we know the benefits of yoga, but I mean, when you start talking about breathing, I mean, you're looking at like controlling, you know, not only your mind, your breath, all these other different things, but like, how did you really get into this kind of niche? Okay. So I'll explain how I got into it and then I'll help you out a little bit more with what I do. Because as I listened to you describe that, that was, that was enlightening for me that, um, because what I do is a little bit different, so. Awesome, educate me. Yes, but we'll, we'll, uh, we'll start with how did I get into this? So I used to have a corporate job and didn't one of you guys, because I looked you guys up, Luke. Yeah, that's you, me. You had a corporate, a corporate job. Guy. Okay, so I had a corporate job. I worked in um, corporate real estate and I was the North American Director of Marketing and PR for an international corporate real estate firm. And during the time that I was with them, they grew from like a group of five offices to 125 internationally and in a very short time. So, I mean, I went from being this marketing, marketing person for just that small group to this um, giant organization. So it, it happened quite quickly. Um, and I did a lot of traveling and there, I was shouldering a ton of responsibility because is you would probably remember from the corporate world when corporations start to grow, um, they grow on the outside. Everybody sees that, but the infrastructure is really slow to grow. So I was stressed out and I'm already wound really, really tight. And Tex, when you were at Summerstrong, did you actually hear my presentation? Yes. So yeah. I, I do have some notes that we can get into, but hey, let's keep it rolling. So yeah, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna dive into that per se, but um, just just the way that I was raised and I came from um, being really really poor, like literally the smelly kid who gets sent home from school because they haven't taken a shower because we didn't have running hot water, and. And so I was on this um, mission to just be what I thought was successful. And I wasn't going to stop. And I didn't know how to stop because I wasn't comfortable with myself. So anytime there was quiet or I stopped, that was terrifying, right? So it was just the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And um, I didn't have tea with the Dalai Lama, but I actually had dinner at Donald Trump's house. And take that for whatever it's worth. Um, but, you know, to him, that'd be like success, right? I'm huge. Uh, so, so uh, what's uh, what's Donald Trump's uh, flexibility like? Do you think uh, a little bit of yoga would help him? I mean, do, do you think he's uh, does he work out? Does he train any type of physical exercise on Donald Trump? I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not touching that. I don't. What you think <laughs> he's more like a beakroom guy or like? <laughs> he needs way more help than I can give him. I mean, um, is it just hair help, or does he need like physical? Because his diet is terrible. You see, he like, eats like Kentucky Fried Chicken and burgers and stuff and drinks like a dozen Cokes a day. Oh, that sounds like living the dream, the American dream. Uh, okay, moving on from the Donald Trump. Um, anyway, so I, I was doing that. I was super high-strung, uh, stressed out. And when I would travel, though, I would stay at the nicest hotels. I was in Miami at a – I'm pretty sure it was um, – the Miami Ritz Carlton. I'd never taken yoga before. As a kid, I had done gymnastics. And, um, but then in terms of like lifting or doing anything like that, I just, I had a decent metabolism at the time. I knew enough not to eat a lot of junk. Um, and so I, I, I didn't have to work really hard um, to be in shape, but I probably wasn't very strong at all. Anyway, I decided I'll take this yoga class at the Ritz Carlton, never taken anything like it before. And 
honestly, I wasn't crazy about it. Uh, the guy came in, it was all like airy fairy. They had the man bun going on and the little speedo and, and he was touching people a lot. And I was just like, no dude, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. But he did tell us to draw our attention to our breath. And he did that several times. And I never, no one had ever said that before. You know, you get the whole relax, take some deep breaths, that kind of thing. But never like truly just, just focus on your breath. And I did. And the cool thing was it was also like a lifeline. You know how I said I, I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop because that wasn't comfortable. But I still had this element of control. Because as long as I could control my breath, I was still controlling something, right? But then all the shit in my head just, you know, the, I called it the, the hamster on the wheel. And the hamster would be on that wheel so much that when I would go to take a shower, I'd have a million ideas going around and around. And I couldn't remember if I washed my hair like six times, you know? So to be there and in that was so empowering. And, uh, and I walked away from that thinking, wow, that's pretty cool. But then it left me and I was back to doing what I was doing. And then uh, there did come another point in my life when that breathing thing came back to me and I realized that I couldn't do anything else that I, I was doing. I, you know, I wasn't living a life that I really wanted. I, um, and so I changed everything and I held on to the one thing that felt like it put me in control and it made me feel less crazy. And that was yoga. But it took me a while to weed through the stuff that, again, I, I, I couldn't go down that road of esoteric BS. And I know for some people, and I don't mean to, but to me it is BS, but to I them, know, it's everything. Yeah, yeah. They your, your experience with yoga is almost identical to mine. When I went really? to yoga and the dude was literally in a Speedo, and then the guy who was like my partner for some of the holds was just wearing underwear. And I'm talking like tidy whities And it was really awkward. It was actually to the point where I was like, I, I don't want to go. No focus. Anymore. Yeah. I was like, this whole dude's, this, this dude's like trying to hold me in position in his tidy whities <laughs> Yeah. Uh, no, it's just. Yoga culture, isn't there? It's crazy. Well, look, people like you're, you're about to get into, Dan. I mean, people live and I have friends oh. that like, that, that's the only way of life. Dude, I, I Control, know, you know, I know people like, you know, joined an ashram and like went to India yes. to do this stuff. And like have lived it and made their deal. Yes. And I just felt like that would be switching the special brand of crazy that I already had going on for a different brand of crazy. You know, like it just, I wanted to start to be more in control and take from it the things that really worked for me. And um, one other thing that I always loved was sports. And because I, I was always a tomboy. And so I love sports and I started thinking about, um, you know, the movements of the sport and, and I'd never even thought about like flexibility here. I'd been a gymnast, but back then, um, cause you know, John back then, uh, cause I think we're in that same age group, like they didn't talk to us about conditioning or anything like that. It was like, this is your sport. Let's practice it, you know, at, and Oh wow, you're you can move. You you're a good gymnast. So I hadn't thought about flexibility, mobility, any of those things. And so now suddenly I'm like, what's the science behind this? How am I moving? If I think about it when I'm walking up the stairs, I can actually feel muscles like I started to go a little bit nuts like that, like really thinking about every movement because they talk about like uh this connection between mind and body, but they talk about it, you know, out here 
esoterically, I wanted to feel what is this true connection. So I started to read books and um, started to think about how it applied to other things. And then as it happened, I was still working my corporate job because I couldn't just quit. And uh, I was, um, I don't want to go into the specifics of it, but I was, I was at a hotel at, um, that was outside of Boston. I lived in Boston. We went to Baltimore. I was taking clients to go see the Red Sox because at that time I didn't have access to tickets to take people to games. And, um, and I, I, uh, so I brought clients to see a game at Camden Yards. And then when they left, the Yankees came in to um, the same hotel that I was staying at. And I happened to bump into um, a Yankee in the, in the um, lobby. And he introduced himself. He didn't need to. I knew who he was. Now, I'd been a Red Sox fan. Because remember, so this was the other thing I was passionate about was sports. Like, in Boston, baseball is a religion. It's a, it's a baseball town. Wait, what is it? It's a, a drinking town with a baseball problem. And I was totally immersed in that culture. So, um, so I'm like, all right, yeah, nice to meet you. And then he sent this person off after me to say, hey, would you come to the game as so-and-so's guest? And um, initially I said no, but then, you know, I thought, okay, here's my opportunity. I can actually talk to this guy about these things I'm thinking about in terms of yoga and sports. I ended up having the chance. I, I went to the game. There was a rain delay. I left because I was like, look, I'm not even a fan of you guys. Um, I went back to the hotel, but then I ended up meeting up with them and I had the chance to really talk to them about what was going through my head in terms of yoga and they were at that time, how many years ago, over a decade ago, they weren't doing anything that had to do with mobility or flexibility. You know, like Gray Cook was just starting to make his way then. So, um, like they couldn't cross their legs. Uh, I, I, Jorge Posada was there. He wasn't the guy who came up to me in the lobby, but he was there. We were talking about a ton of stuff like, um, you know, what bothers you in your hips? So I had this access that I hadn't had before. And now it was kind of solidifying this could work, right? And I went from this job, this corporate job where I was making a ton of money and I'm looking at professional athletes. I had already looked at opening up a yoga studio. I was like, yeah, I can't live off that. I did a business plan. I put it together. I'm like the first year, I think I made $5,000 if I'm profitable. No. So I'm thinking, I'm going to be back to six figures. These guys have, this, they have tons of money. I had no freaking idea the dichotomy between what the players were making and what a strength and conditioning budget looked like. Clueless. <laughs> but on the, on the plane home, it's like a half hour flight. Um, I'm thinking to myself, this is, this is what I'm going to do. I, you know, here I'd done a business plan for a yoga studio, but now I'm diving in full board. I'm going to cash in part of my 401k plan and um, support myself while I get this off the ground. Because I also, I bought all the URLs for yoga for sports, yoga for athletes, yo not yoga for athletes, yoga for sports, yoga for baseball, yoga for football, yoga for hockey, yoga for basketball, I own them all because I might as well have been saying, let's get athletes to do underwater basket weaving. Like it was just not something people were doing. So the crazy type A personality um, decided that I need to have a platform, right? So I'm going to write a book. So I wrote a book in like three weeks, used um, some of my uh, 401k to self-publish it. 
no one should buy that book. I'm not even tell you what my last name used to be. Don't because everything I thought I knew then. Put those in the show notes. Don't Although crazy people are on like eBay selling signed copies. I don't know when I signed it uh, for like 200 bucks and don't do not buy it. Uh, but anyway, so I write this book. Well, I, I do all the stuff correctly in terms of like the, what is the ISBN, the barcode you need on all this stuff. I'm going to put it in Barnes and Noble and um, because they, we actually had bookstores back then too. And, uh, and borders books. And I reach out to them and they both came back and they were like, we love this book. We'd love to put it on our shelves, but I put it in a binder because I wanted it so that people could move stuff around because it was called, now you'll be able to find it. It was called yoga. What year is this? Yoga is not one size fits all. It must've been 2005. Okay. Okay. And they said the reason we only accept binder books that are cookbooks because they take up double the shelf space. So they said, put it in a different binding, send it back to us. We'd love to have it. And I'm like, that's the whole concept is that people can move these pages around. So now I've got a really expensive brochure basically. So I go through it. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to get into professional sports. This is still my platform. I hire a PR firm because I'm smart enough to know, even though I know PR, I'm going to get somebody else to do this for me. So I hire a PR firm. I say, listen, I've got a book. Um, I'm selling it on Amazon. Let's, you know, let's market that. In the meantime, I go through, so the, f the four major sports in America, sorry, soccer, um, any, the NHL, NFL, NBA, MLB, every single team, I find out who the um, head strength coach is and the manager or head coach, depending on the sport. And then I pick three players. I go through the DL or, you know, the injury list again, depending on the sport, figure out what their injury history is. And I, if I can find anything on the internet that shows me like some of their movements, whatever, I write customized letters to three players, the strength coach. There's not a form letter. I write it. And then I earmark in my book exercises that I think are going to work for them. It was expensive. It was time consuming and it was expensive, but I sent out packages to everybody. I also even did towels that I still use in my home gym because I have like hundreds of them. Um, but I did towels that had my logo on them. I mailed the shit out to everybody. And so it's thousands of dollars worth. Now, having been in marketing, I knew a 4% um, uh, return would be like huge. No, I was in like the 35% realm. And one of the first, uh, one of the first, uh, well, it was a manager who called me. One of the first guys was Terry Francona. Now I'm from Boston. And so now some of my friends know that, that I've been doing this and I'm, I, you know, I'm really on the crazy train with yoga for sports. So I think somebody's calling me and, and like playing a joke on me. And I, have you heard Terry Francona talk? Like he doesn't have a Boston accent. So the people in Boston would kind of, um, you know, make fun of it. And so we all had our impressions of Francona. So Francona calls me up. And he's like, yeah, I got your package and you know, I'm interested. And, and I'm like, are you shitting me? Like, I'm thinking it's one of my friends. And so I go through and he has to convince me that it's him. And so I, luckily I ended up working with him, but I ended up working with um, players from all of the, uh, 
uh, the teams in um, in my in Boston. I also ended up becoming the yoga coach for the Boston Fire Department, which was so freaking cool. That was awesome. I missed those guys, and uh, and then what was oh like but I remember. I was a sports fan, but I sent stuff to every team. And so I had to pick players. And sometimes I'm picking players and I'm like, who is this guy? Warwick Dunn. Okay. So he calls me and we have a really nice conversation. And then I'm like, at the end, I say, can you tell me your name again? Oh, gosh. <laughs> we, we didn't end up talking after that. But, uh, but so I, it was hard to keep up with the return I was getting uh, because I never expected it to be so big. And, uh, but then it just went from there and I was lucky enough to pick up um, Timmy Thomas, who was the NHL goaltender um, for the Boston Bruins. And he had just come from Finland. He was fairly unknown, uh, but it was still later in his career. I think we're around the same age. And I started working with him and he started doing better. And I'm not saying that it was me. So don't think that it was, it was just, he was doing better. And so he didn't want to change anything, right. That he had started doing. So we had a longstanding relationship through the end of his career, but he went on to win the con Smythe. He was in the Olympics. Um, and, uh, the, the Bruins won the Stanley cup. And so that was really exciting. And I was in sports illustrated with him. And so he was, and he did a lot of media with me because the media thought this and they would, uh, they would bastardize it too because they thought this was all, oh my gosh, athletes doing yoga and oh, the little blonde, how many times I had to hear the little blonde guru or the little blonde yoga instructor, just, they love to sensationalize that. And, you know, I'm complaining a little bit. I do I do recognize that that helped to build my reputation, but it, it also made it so that, you know, maybe I could get in the door being the little blonde yoga instructor, but then I had to prove I knew what the hell I was doing. And, um, and then also, as I started to raise awareness about, oh, yoga and sports, everybody started to become an expert on yoga and sports. And so I had to keep changing my game to, because also what I thought I knew when I came into sports and I learned first off, that there are no budgets and all professional athletes think they should get everything for free. Of course, because um, we're professional athletes. Right, yeah, so yeah, of course. Yeah, everything should yeah. be for free, right? <laughs> yeah, do you, want, do you want me to sign a ball for you? I don't know, will that pay my fucking mortgage? Um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, uh, I don't know. I digress. That was, so it's been, a, it's, uh, uh, one, I'm just impressed with the fact that like, you know, like the, the hustle moxie and the hustle to get out there and do it. I mean, it's, I mean, that's pretty interesting. I'm, uh, uh, thank God I didn't get any of that, um, a, a package from you. Cause that means obviously I wasn't fucked up, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, it's like, you're going through, you're like, oh, that dude's fucked up. I got to send him some shit. But I mean, uh, the one thing which is universally true about athletes, you hope, is that if somebody offers you or goes out of their way to try to improve you, you should listen to it. Like if somebody were to like, you know, just, uh, you know, unsolicited reach out to me and say, Hey, uh, I noticed this, or you're having this problem. And I think I can help you. I think most people are, are, should be receptive to be like, really awesome. Help me. And like, that's like a, a mark of a good athlete, but the problem becomes, and what I'm totally amazed by is the fact that, uh, the managers, the trainers, the strength coaches were open to it. They responded. Were responded because normally those dudes are like, "Oh, I know everything," and you know, uh, you know, 
if it's not here already, then it's, it's, it's of no value. So I'm really pretty impressed the fact that they were able to see the, you know, the benefit and the genius in it and bring you in. So, I mean, fucking good on you. Well, thank you. But now just also, um, I guess to their credit and my own, I knew as much as I thought that I knew yoga was this great fit with sports um, and that I could be sports specific, which is hilarious. But anyway, um, I also knew that I could learn so much from them. So I wasn't going in there and dogmatically saying, I'm going to come in and I can fix things that you guys haven't figured out. I was really careful because I know how that feels when, you know, having worked in my former career, if somebody comes in and they're like, yeah, your marketing program is shit. So, you know, this is how you should be doing it. I'm not, I don't like them. So, this is a, uh, this you got to watch the language. Yeah, you got to watch the language. This is a family podcast. All this. Stop podcast. it. Jeez. Oh my gosh. That's it. Um, okay. So, uh, anyway, um, I don't know what to say now. Well, I, I, I think I can <laughs> jump in here. So you're walking into these, these weight rooms, these training facilities and working with these athletic trainers and strength coaches who already have a perception of two words, flexibility and stretching. And so when we were interacting over email, you went into this, this very in-depth conversation, uh, just going to just type in a way and really open it up. Could, uh, could you kind of go into, I guess, the, the evolution of your thought process for stretching and flexibility and then the battle to get these guys to truly understand these two words? Yes. Okay. So um, flexibility. Uh, that, yeah. So when you talk about bad language, watch the language. That is the huge F word for me. That's the one that like really freaks me out. There are a few things that, that freak me out when people kind of pigeonhole me in that though. That's the thing that ruffles my feathers most because flexibility, and you can say it's just semantics maybe, but to me that that implies instability because you're only thinking about like lengthening muscles. It, it, it takes people's eyes off the ball. It takes them off the joint and makes them think only about muscles. And can I lengthen hamstring? Oh God. Can I lengthen hamstrings? How many times do I hear that where someone is, and they're well-intentioned, but they're trying to stretch out hamstrings that are actually pulled tight and inhibited based on an excessive anterior pelvic tilt. But the person trying to stretch the hamstrings doesn't understand that the hamstrings are attaching to the pelvis and that they're being pulled long and tight. And, and if you don't fix the pelvis, you're not really even getting, if you can get to the hamstrings, you're either going to provide a temporary relief on the good side, and maybe you'll have a job forever because that athlete is going to keep coming back to you because it feels good in the moment, or you're actually going to stretch it out a little bit more, maybe even rip it or predispose it to injury. Um, However, you could take, if, if the, the reason for the tension in the hamstrings is the pelvis and you fix the pelvis fun function, and I know anterior tilts get a really bad rep all the time, like, oh my God, you know, you're going to die of an anterior pelvic tilt. You're not. Um, and a lot of athletes function really well in an excessive anterior pelvic tilt. The important thing is, though, that they're not trying to sleep like that, that they can shut off their low back, that they can move in and out of it, right? And then their hamstrings aren't constantly pulled tight and inhibited. So um, I could- live in anterior pelvic tilt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We actually call that CrossFit girl butt. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, can... that's how you put the vibe out at the club. Yes. <laughs> that's how you put the vibe. I mean, that's, that's basically our, our joke. <laughs> yeah, if anybody's not familiar with yeah, the term. Yeah, right? yeah. If anybody's not familiar, we actually call this cross the girl butter, how you put out the vibe. But you actually made a really good point. It's something that uh, I've said for years is uh, flexibility within stability is equal to injury. And so I run into people all the time that are like, oh, I need to increase my flexibility in this. And I'm like, well, if you're, jo- if, if you're not able to stabilize your joint for whatever reason, uh, like, for example, let's say you tear a ligament or you have some form of structural damage in a joint, and then you want to mobilize or, more importantly, increase your mobility or try to increase flexibility, all you're doing is setting yourself up. I'm like, part of that tightness and part of that is your body's guarding because it doesn't want you to injure yourself. And so we run into this constantly where people uh, at our seminar, I mean, we've taught hundreds of seminars to thousands of people and I hear this all the time is like, Oh, um, you know, I'm tight in my hips. I'm tight here and this and all these other things. And I need to do more flexibility, more mobility. And, uh, I'm always like, I don't think that's your problem because you guys stretch non fucking stop. And I'm telling you, if we put you in any type of dynamic movement, whether it be change of direction, spring, whatever, I'm going to see the instability in this. And I'm like, I mean, we've, it just, it's, one of our pet peeves, which is really kind of ironic, and I know I text got you on the podcast, other than you have an <laughs> amazing story, and I think this is killer, but like that to me is almost the point where I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. So I'm glad I'm not the only one mm-hmm. that's seeing this because it's, uh, it's a huge problem. So yeah. cool, awesome. And at the highest level of performance, well, you know, arguably in the, well, in the big four sports. Well, the, the thing which most people don't realize is that professional athletes uh, – are kind of interesting. And I, I think about this in professional football, everybody's injured. Um, and I'm sure you've seen this. There isn't a single professional, and I, I don't know about other sports because I didn't play those, but on a football team, every single player is injured to some degree. Uh, what allows one player to be able to continue to perform at a high level on, uh, even though he's injured is his ability to recruit other, uh, other, I guess you could say other muscles or basically play around. Yeah. Play around. Right. Yeah. And I remember Dr. Bueller, who's a buddy of ours in Utah, uh, works with a lot of professional athletes, and he's like, the best athletes in the world are the ones that can recruit and effectively find new neuromuscular pathways, basically find their almost like the body's ability with uh, water finds a new level to basically work around these things. And what happens is they do this for so long until all of a sudden enough sticks break, and next thing you know, you're injured and you can't do anything anymore. And I think, uh, um, you know, looking at things like, you know, like, like how do you create stability? And a big part of the reason we even lift weights is the idea of uh, I want to develop stability under load instead of just merely looking at it like this idea of flexibility. So fucking mm-hmm. good on you. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and increasingly, I'm starting the, the latter part of what you said, I'm starting to understand that more and, and more. Um, I just recently got my uh, CSCS because I, I want it, I love lifting and obviously um, I'm getting older. I don't want to hurt myself, but I want to have a way better understanding of what these guys are doing in the weight room because I can feel it, you know, and, and then know how I can complement it. And that's the other thing that I, besides flexibility, and I'm going to come back to that though, because there's a lot more I want to say about it. But besides the flexibility thing, the other thing that I was starting to realize that I didn't know when I first got into professional sports is that they have 
you guys have insane schedules. Now, in baseball, they have games pretty much every single day, you know, very few off days. But even in the NFL, I mean, you guys have work that you're doing between games. Um, and you have film to watch. You have strategy. You have, you have stuff going on every single day. So if I'm going to truly add value, I have to be as efficient and effective as possible. Um, also, if I want to get in with a team, I have to be able to not say, I need to grab an entire hour block of your time. Because that is so difficult for them to find in a schedule that's already jam-packed. And guess what will be the first thing to get pulled out, right? So um, I, I had to start to break it down to the lowest common denominator and how do I add the most value? And even if it means that I'm not with the team all the time, but I'm coming in during a time when they, they, they can fit me into the schedule and I can teach them things and work with the strength coach to give them tools to integrate into the strength and conditioning program. And then they don't need me the rest of the year unless something comes up because I, I also do a lot of like rehab consulting kind of stuff. Um, or if they want to like progress somebody's program, but I would rather be out of it. And I'm, I've got my hands in a lot of different things. And so I, I don't need to be with a team all the time. So the, the most efficient way is, you know, here are the five things for um, these position players or these guys who are dealing with, like you said, a lot of these guys have injuries. They, they're, they're dealing with um, low back pain and compensatory patterns to try to get, especially pitchers, to try to get over that. So these are the things I have for these guys. And guess what? They pair really well, um, supersetted with this when they're in the weight room or whatever it is. And then you said um, you wanted to talk about travel and we're going to get into that too. But I started to come up with, you know, looking at what their travel schedules were and how some guys were ending up injured after they got off the bus or the plane or they woke up in the morning or because they're in different beds all the time. And so again, where's another place I can add value there? Like what can I do to inhibit? You've got we talked about the anterior pelvic tilt. So I've got guys who have low backs that are turned on all the time. If I can give them something that's truly going to inhibit those low back extensors before they get into bed, and it's only going to take 30 seconds of their time, and I can actually get them to do it because they sleep better, and they wake up, and they don't have a stiff back, that adds a ton of value. Um, and it's not rocket science, but it does take a little bit of thought, and it's not teaching athletes to be yogis. And I even, you know, on social media, we we're talking about how bogus that can be sometimes when you're putting in all your hashtags, and I'm always putting in yoga for athletes, yoga, yoga for sports, and I kind of feel funny doing it sometimes because some of the guys will be like, you're like the anti-yoga yoga coach. But I've taken the best of yoga, the stuff, like I look at Gray Cook's stuff and I was introduced to him early on and it was really a game changer for me because I looked at Gray Cook's stuff and I'm like, that's yoga. But then you read the instruction that goes with it and you're like, but that is smarter. It's not like everybody get into this kneeling lunge and then drop your pelvis down to the ground, sink and melt and do goofy shit like that. And don't worry about, you know, what you feel, breathe past the pain. You know, you're getting more flexible. Instead, it's like, hey, you know, your hip is an extension. Um, is your right glute firing if your left leg is in front? If your, your hip's an extension? Like, can you feel that? Like, they're, they're just different cues. And so if you look at, like, one of my classes and you can't hear it, 
you would look in and you'd be like, hey, that kind of looks like yoga. That must be a yoga session. But if you didn't see it and you only heard it, you would be like, is that physical therapy? Like, what is that that she's teaching? Because all my cues are designed to empower these guys to know what the heck is going on with their bodies. And so that they hear me in their head too when they're in the weight room. You guys have the whole toes forward thing. Oh, I'm all over that. All over that. I am. Nice. But oh my gosh, it's lateral heel. Like I'm always like lateral heel, medial arch. If you got in, and in yoga, they're like, oh, the four corners of your feet. Well, you know, it's hard to kind of discern that. Or sometimes they'll be like, think of your feet as a try pod and then you end up with your feet out like this and guess what they are already heavy into the external hip rotators so stop with the duck feet guys you know i don't need your pelvis your hips and your pelvis to be open i want decent if i'm especially if i'm working on a squat pattern for pelvic fun function if you open up your feet we might as well not do it like what are we working on then um, and I always tell them lateral heel and then I'll, I'll even have them do drills. And I know that people listening to the podcast can't see this, but I'm like, put your hands on your hips like this and then toe heel your feet in and out. Can you feel your hips moving? Your feet are a window to what's going on in your hips. And so I hammer. We actually had, uh, when we have people do that, we put the hands on the butt, like on the top of the glute. And I've we'll, done that too. Yeah, we, we get them basically to do that. And what I want you to do is put your toes forward. And then I want you to try to basically spin from the top, like in the hip socket, and try to, you know, externally rotate out. And they, they can feel their glute fire. And we have them open up their feet and do the same thing. And they're like, I can't get it to fire. And I'm like, that's why these guys go to all these PTs and they talk about glute amnesia or glute nesia. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, the problem is, is that you guys don't understand foot position and you don't understand necessarily how your knee needs yeah. to track underneath the, uh, like the instep. And I'm like, dude, if you want to teach somebody how to use their glute, why don't you just teach them to lunge with a toe forward? And yeah. like it, and, and it, it's, it, it seems and like this is what we joke about, like the, the taking crazy pills where uh, I have these conversations and people are like, you know, kind of look at you like, I can't believe this. I'm like, dude, this is basic stuff. I'm like, there's a reason. Um, and we, I mean, this is part of our seminar. Uh, Playing offensive line, I had, you know, a short amount of time to run up to the ball and I had to basically assess people. I came to this strange realization because I kind of looked for patterns that the guys that were slightly pigeon-toed and bow-legged were much more explosive than the guys that were duck-footed and knock-kneed. I knew if a guy was duck-footed and knock-kneed, he wasn't going to get off the ball as fast. And so if I, if I walked up and I saw a guy and the guy that I can't remember his name for the life of me right now, he played for Chicago Bears and played for Dallas, uh, he was – Legally criminally, or it's not criminally, but uh, legally insane. Um, Alonzo uh, Spellman? Yeah, Alonzo Spellman. Zo, my yeah. guy. So uh, he was like 6'4", but he had about a 6'10 wingspan. Yeah. And he was literally pigeon-toed and bow-legged. And he got off the ball. It literally felt like somebody was smashing with a cinder block. <laughs> and then I remember, like, uh, they brought in the next guy who, like, he rotated out, brought over. And the guy was literally duck-footed and knocked knee. And it felt like I was hitting like a bunch of pillows mm -hmm. and I started noticing this. And then I was like noticing that like the guys that were racing, like the DBs and different stuff, the guys that were slightly pigeon toed and, and bow legged were faster. And then you started, I started thinking, I'm like, why is it? And then we realized toes forward, internal hip torque, and you can go through all these different things. But the most athletic people always were toes forward. And we look at change of direction and all the different force bleed models we do. And we teach us so much of the seminar is that, 
if you want to learn to move, there's a certain set of movement patterns we call a blueprint that allow efficient human movement. And all you're doing is you're basically cheating these things by opening the toes, doing all these other things that are all workarounds. And, um, you know, people are like, well, I, I can't squat as well with my, with my toes forward. Well, not today. But isn't this thing a journey? Like, eventually we're going to get to where you've got to go. I don't know why everybody has to be fucking perfect today. I'd rather keep the model the same and then force you to develop the strength, the stability, and the musculature, and all these other key factors that allow you to do this. Instead of just being like, hey, let's, let's do all this fucking cheap work around so I can do it today. Get bigger numbers. Do it yeah, faster. bigger numbers, faster. So, yeah. get off my soapbox. Oh, well, we're standing on the same soapbox. Um, I absolutely agree with that. Uh, yeah. So a lot of the times the guys would be like, there's so many details, you know, and if, if I'm brought in and occasionally a strength coach will be like, Dana, stop talking so much. Uh, but you know, initially I just need them to get it, but I've started to come up with some, uh, especially when it comes to breathing, I've come up with some parlor tricks. Uh, I did a lot with PRI and PRI. If you're familiar with the postural restoration Institute, no, I've done a ton of courses with them. Um, and that's what's really changed my outlook on, on what breathing does. In uh, PRI? PRI. Restoration Institute. Okay. Yeah, they, they, that was a total game changer for me. It was actually, it was Eric Cressy who told me about PRI uh, like six or seven years ago. And uh, because when I went to go see him, he had guys doing a bunch of asymmetrical stuff and like breathing stuff. I'm like, I'm supposed to be the yoga person. What are you doing? And he said, you know, check out this PRI stuff. So I did. And it was totally a game changer. It was way over my head. That was also a time when I realized, oh my gosh, there's so much more that I need to learn. Um, and that also contributed to the more I learned, the more I got pissed off about the whole flexibility thing. Oh, Dana's trying to get them to get their legs over their heads. Never. You know, I want a stable range of motion for your sport. And that can change from um, sport to sport. Now, that's as sport specific as I will get is that that range of motion can change from sport to sport, depending on what you need to do. So like if I look at basketball, right, they, they have a shorter range of motion and they need to be more explosive. And I know that, I mean, LeBron James, I've seen him doing like beach yoga and, um, I know that there are guys out there who say, oh, I do Bikram yoga and I get so flexible and there's I never like, I despise Bikram. Oh. And the reason being is it to me it's artificial. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I, I, I used to do some uh, um, I like the Ashanti stuff, like the poses, uh, yeah. because what I liked is I liked the, the isometric feel, the, the ideal. Like I want to hold something in an isometric pose. Uh, what I didn't like about the Bikram was um, all the people that were the practitioners were all injured uh, because I believe the heat offers a artificial range of motion that you're basically using it as a tool to get there. And when I uh, went to it one time, uh, everybody in there was injured, and the person that had the place had both hips replaced. So they were one of the original Bikram uh, people, and like we went to this place, and the guy couldn't do it anymore because he had both hips replaced. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, wait a minute, how come everybody's here? I'm like, we're... So, and I don't want to use the word stretching to like discount uh, Dill, but this whole style is predicated on the fact that it's 110 degrees and here with space heaters. Everybody's wearing Speedos and smells like cheese. 
and everybody in here is injured for some weird odd reason and like I went once and was like this is fucking terrible and then people were like why don't you like it and I'm like dude because it's offering artificial range of motion and if I go do something and everybody's injured I either need to look at what they're teaching or the system and I need to take a step back and I was good off of that so that's my my thought I'm glad. I mean, you get attracted to it for probably the same reason a lot of athletes do is because, you know, you're sweating. But I have, I've actually pretty, taught. It was a pretty so, girl that invited me to go. So the only reason I went was because this girl invited me to go. And that's an even so, better reason. Well, I was going to say, second, that's, that's the second. No, that's the reason. number one reason any professional <laughs> athlete goes to yoga or Bikram is because he heard about hot chicks in yoga pants or some girl invites him to go. All that's right. Really the only other, that's the only reason. <laughs> okay. Well, they tend to tell me that they like to sweat. And I'm like, well, then go sit in a freaking sauna. Um, because I've taught Bikram yoga before a long, long, long time ago. I like subbed for somebody when I was just basically teaching yoga. And uh, so I learned the 26 poses and I didn't even have to do them because in Bikram, you're just like a drill sergeant. You just yell out the poses. And I'm standing there in the 105 degree um, heat and I'm sweating just as much as the rest of um, the people who are doing it because it's 105 freaking degrees, right? And, um, and the, just arbitrary poses that this guy came over Bikram who's like four feet tall, wears a Speedo. He's been accused of rape um, quite a bit. Uh, and, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, I, I, he's been accused of rape. So I don't even care if he's injured. I just hope that if it's true that he goes to prison, but he then started suing everybody who was calling hot yoga Bikram because that's his name. And he, he technically owned it, but he took 26 arbitrary yoga poses and put them together. And he goes from like extreme extension, back extension to extreme flexion. And you know, yoga is the panacea for everything, especially back pain. So even though, guess what? The number one um, reported emergency room visit for yoga is back strain. People go to the emergency room because they hurt their back in yoga. And so this guy just arbitrarily put these poses together. You go from extreme extension to extreme flexion. And let's do that twice. And let's do it for 90 minutes because he knows Americans love to torture themselves. So he made millions of dollars off of this. But he was he just took the stuff that he knew that that we would go for, like twisting hot torture. That sounds great. And hot chicks. There you go. Yeah, I'll, I'll do in. that one. Yeah. Well, well, the the other one too, and, and I, I guess this is like everything. I mean, I, I guess CrossFit's like this a little bit in that uh, uh, there's a whole lifestyle component to the stuff. And like, I'm always, um, I think it was Albert Einstein said, "Be leery of anything that requires new clothes." And I'm down butchering that, but like, <laughs> but like, what I didn't like about the yoga, which maybe because it just wasn't what I was into, but like the clothes, the whole deal, there's like a whole lifestyle, uh, a whole diet that goes with it. And like, you know, I'm not, you know, going to do wheatgrass shops and I'm not going to be a vegan. And I remember like going to the class pretty consistently and the guy talking about diet and these other things and then asked me questions. And, and uh, like, I'm like, ah, it's just not really what I want to do. So I, I think people are always looking for it. And like, well, I think it's how you get any good type of fitness craze. I mean, people, when they get into something, it's just not working out. It's lifestyle, it's community, it's all the other things. And then people, you know, you end up with a collection of friends that are all associated with it. Like-minded individuals. Yeah, like-minded right. individuals. And you all come and together. Next thing you know, you're eating, you know, beans and, you know, 
hummus and you know wear, and yeah, wearing yoga pants. <laughs> John, I, I got the quote here for you, if you're ready. Yes. I say, beware of all enterprises that require new clothes, and not rather a new wearer of clothes. And it was a man named Henry David Thoreau. Not. Oh, I thought it was Einstein. Yeah, but he and Bert were close friends, you know. Yeah. Well, but I mean, that's yeah. yeah I, like, I don't know. Like, if uh, the one thing which is pretty interesting, and um, uh, I, I always run into this where people are like, "Oh, this changed my life." And I always think to myself, like, what was your life before that all of a sudden just some basic barbell training mm-hmm. uh, was able to, to alter your life in such a way? I mean, uh, is offering somebody increased range of motion to their joints, does that change their life in a way? Yeah, I guess it does if you're asking somebody to do something. I mean, you know, you made a great uh, observation and that you said, you know, the basketball guys are in really short ranges of motion and that doing things maybe outside of their training that is not reminiscent of what they do in their training. Like if it's all short, explosive, you know, half ranges of motion, taking them into a training style that allows them to do dynamic explosive movements with full ranges of motion would be beneficial. But the thing which is interesting is almost every single athlete that we've seen benefits from doing full range of motion, explosive movements. And, you know, I mean, for some period of time, for some period of time. You know, and then it's like you think about like the ability to, you know, I was on a podcast earlier and this guy asked me about tactile athletes, what should I do? Well, if, uh, if you're a cop, you should probably be able to fight. You should probably lift some weights. You should probably be able to run and you should definitely be able to sprint. And, um, you should probably, you know, be proficient with your firearm. Yeah. Be proficient with your firearm. Your other, and your other non-lethal. And yeah, your other non-lethal. And then you should talk to somebody like Dana, uh, which I'm actually fascinated on the breathing stuff yeah, because, uh, yeah, I mean, like, like if you think about, um, so just some background on me, I, I started in martial arts when I was six, and it was a pretty traditional Japanese style, and that's where I first learned about, you know, what we used to call torture, but people know it was stretching, because the movements were uh, so demanding that there was a, a whole torture routine to create flexibility, not for any other reason other than you needed that flexibility to be able to do these different movements. And like there was a, you know, we had to like, you know, kneel on wood. And if you fucked up, the guy would like beat you with a bamboo stick. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember them talking about breath. And I remember them talking about the ability to like pull it in and be able to hold the breath, to be able to, you know, hold the trunk, to be able to get hit and all these different things. And I think um, every time when I hear people talk about that, like that was such an important component of martial arts that uh, uh, it's something that people, I mean, I guess people are talking about it because you're talking about it. But um, I think it's just something that people don't necessarily know and uh, don't really necessarily know how to use. Like for a pitcher, for example, the idea of, you know, I don't want to hold my breath because I, you know, I don't want to put that in position, but my breath needs to be meaningful. And, um, you know, it's a big thing we talked to, uh, especially when you play football, the idea of like, don't tense up and hold your breath. Like you want to be ready at all times, but not like "Eh," like this, because if you get hit, you'll tend to hurt yourself because you never know when you're going to get hit. I mean, I watch guys all the time, like the analogy I used to give was um, be Gumby, because all of a sudden, if you're playing and you're in a battle with somebody and you feel somebody hit you from behind, you just kind of like go limp and you hope you just kind of fall down and get the best out of it. And the guys that fought against it were the ones that ended up getting hurt and having terrible things happen. So, so Dana, I'd like to get into that. On your website, I have a quote from you. It says, breathing is the most fundamental movement pattern. And when we're talking about breathing and training to prepare to prepare us to carry that breathing technique into sport when it's not something we want to think about, where's the best time to kind of integrate breathing technique and practice into training? 
Um, well, definitely initially, because uh, it, like I said, is the most fundamental movement pattern. So you want to set that right before you start to layer any other movement patterns on top of it. But I want to back up for a minute because I don't want to just gloss over the physiological aspect that John just brought up. Um, I don't want to jump down that rabbit hole too deeply because I want to, I think the, the newer stuff for you guys in terms of the breathing and the mobility stuff, I think you'll be interested in that. And I, I want to, if I'm going to jump down a rabbit hole, that's the one I want to jump down. So I'm going to come back to that, but let's go back to the physiological stuff. Um, breathing is truly a superpower when it comes to being able to leverage our central nervous system and Athletes especially, but all human beings, I see so many people who are locked in a sympathetic state. And for those people who aren't nerdy about your nervous system, sympathetic doesn't mean what, you know, a lot of people think, oh, you know, I feel sorry for you kind of thing. It's sympathetic, it's fight or flight. And so I see a ton of people in, in extension because they're trying to have good posture, which makes it harder to breathe. So it's just this vicious cycle, but they're walking around barely breathing and they feel like their freaking life is an emergency, right? because they're getting all these messages. They are just overloaded with cortisol. Um, their heart rate and their blood pressure are higher because their breathing sucks so badly. And we do have this power when we're empowered with the knowledge to know this, right, is um, to take back control of our breathing, even though it's the only aspect of our autonomic nervous system that we actually can go on autopilot or take control. We can take control of it and then we can switch into our parasympathetic, which is the rest and restore. Um, or even, you know, more of a neutral kind of phase. But that will lower that production of cortisol, which is the major stress hormone. That will lower your heart rate and your blood pressure. Everybody's got their Apple Watches or their Fitbits or whatever. You can play with your breathing. And I think there are apps out there. You can play with your breathing and then be able to change the way that you feel. Sometimes the way that you think really isn't the way that you think. So this is powerful stuff for my hockey goaltenders and and, um, and, and pitchers, and, but just every athlete. Because the other thing is, you might play better in a sympathetic state when you're on the field, but in that time when you're with your family, you need to be able to shut that off. And I think a lot of athletes who seem like they are so, who, who are becoming so violent, they seem so violent, they're getting into a lot of trouble. Um, there, are, there are a ton of different um, reasons for that. But I also think one of them is many of them are stuck in this state and they can't, they can't get out of it. They're on travel schedules that um, mess up their circadian rhythm. So they're not sleeping. So they're never given the opportunity to come out of it. And just like a muscle that's firing all the time, it's pissed off. Right. And it, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna feel terrible. When your nervous system is stuck in a fight or flight state, it's going to feel terrible. So being able to give that um, to these athletes and get them to be able to toggle in and out with this power of their respiration is huge. And, um, you know, I said I don't do the airy-fairy stuff, but there's science behind mindfulness meditation. And I'm a big science geek, and I like to read the research. And, I, again, when I write for CNN, you know, they let me cite research. They want me to cite research. So when I talk about stuff like this, I cite studies that show this stuff actually works. And here's how you, anyone, can use it. So breathing is a superpower in that aspect. But 
And before hey, I move hey, to uh, the mobility, well, go ahead. I, yeah. yeah, I didn't want to cut you off, but uh, um, what you're talking about is balance. And what most professional athletes and something that I used to, I mean, I remember years ago, pretty early on, there was a, a guy that we worked with at the Eagles, Kevin Elko. And Dr. Elko is, uh, you know, speaker, just like one of like the most calming people I've ever been around, just like had kind of a Southern accent, was just really, really friendly. And I used to always love to rap with him. But the one thing he talked to me, he said, um, if I can give you anything, it's balance. He goes, you know, what you do out here is, you know, here and you have to have all these different places. And he goes, you know, balance is, is, you know, the idea of just being complete. And I think what a lot of professional athletes really lack it's this idea that they have an on button all the time, this idea that I got to be up, I got to be up, and then they have a hard time uh, transitioning out of it. So the only way they transition out of it is either with like, let's go get some drinks or let's, you know, smoke something or people, you know, take drugs. And I, that mm-hmm. to me is, and the guys that I know that were the worst abusers of drugs and alcohol were the guys that did not know how to artificially Switch relax. Off. Yeah, like, or sorry, they had to artificially relax using, you know, self-medicating. Yeah. And, uh, um, I, dude, I can think of one person in individual to the point where I'd be like, you need to go smoke something like, like come back in 10 minutes. I can't fucking be around you. So a big thing for me, I always talked about was, uh, was balance for me. Uh, uh, relaxation is like music or like, um, you know, like meditation or just like laying still or just trying to like calm the noise. But ironically for me, um, the, most relaxed and the clearest and the the one place that everything made the most sense was actually uh in the heat of the moment when i played really so so like you know like people like beat their chest and yell and scream i was like the exact opposite like i was like the very uh um very cool calm collected like calm before the storm and to me uh the the most relaxed and actually the most uh, uh i guess you could say like clear vision that i have and someone like the easiest things was uh in the middle of the game or running out but i also never heard the crowd so people always talk about the crowd i never heard it everything was always silent to me and uh that was like to me when people get done they're like oh it was good like to me that was the relaxation part so whereas i'd see guys beating and screaming in their chest i'm like are they trying to talk themselves into something like what the fuck so uh, but I, I did really see a lot of different ways, like guys that had artificially pumped themselves up. And I felt that if you had to go and somehow build yourself up and like, you know, like almost like build into it, you were more importantly, the guy that was talking themselves into something that they didn't have the confidence to go out there. I should be able to be calm, cool and collected and walk on the field and go out and fucking break a guy's arm. If I, that's what it calls for and feel little to no remorse about it and not even let it even. Cause well, you're lucky that was your job. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it's like I, uh, but you're like you said, like you always say, my job was to beat wholesale ass and get paid for it. Yeah, and so. and I really enjoyed that part. And to me, that was the most calm part of my life. And my wife's always like, I'm like, I just haven't got to hurt anything in a long time, you know. Like, but that's what I think everybody needs. So uh, the, but that to me, and what I've, I've really realized, if I could give one thing to most athletes, and what most people really lack is balance. Because you're so hyper focused on doing this job and everything around it, in my life, the people, everything's focused on this thing, and like people like tend to fucking spin out. And I remember that point to me, uh, um, you know, Dr. Oprah talked about was that idea of balance it was always something I always thought about. Like, what's the balance here? You have to have like something other than this. Like, you have to have a hobby. You got to be able to do something. And it's something um, my wife and I talk about all the time. Like. Uh, we work a lot, but we also like to lift weights and I, I like to weld and bang on metal. And part of that hobby and that stuff is 
is almost a release because unfortunately we have no fucking releases. But if you think about it, we have these iPhones. I'm going to show you a picture of my phone, and it is text message, email, 24 hours a day, 24 hours a day. And when do we ever turn off? And uh, I, I think what you do is, is kind of neat because it's – and I don't mean neat in like a, that kind of way, but I mean like uh, so important in that you're working with to try to offer some form of balance to these athletes and offer them something different than what they're getting from their – you know, standard care, which is your strength conditioning coaches or the people that are around them that are so hyper-focused because their whole existence depends upon their ability to perform. I think, Dana, you also mentioned, like, this could be general population, too, that don't necessarily perform at the high level of athleticism, right? It could be, like, your proverbialism. But but think about, like, uh, you know, the athleticism, like, your fitness and your ability to perform at your job. Yeah, that's right. If you're so fucking wound up, Mm -hmm. Uh, because you have to drink 27 cups of coffee to get yourself to work to fucking fire up the monitor. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Then that's like an artificial on button. And then sure, how totally. do you come down? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the biggest thing is, um, is balance. I mean, and technology and what we've added, I don't necessarily look at those as advancements. If anything, it's, it's put us in a position where we can never unplug, which the opportunity, which people never fucking unplug. No, right? we never do. And fucking, we're the worst at it. I'm like, you know, fucking 10 o'clock at night, I'm sitting there fucking returning emails before I yeah, go to bed. Yeah, I get them, and I send them back. I know, and not, <laughs> it's fucking your email. But, and, and, and you know what, my wife and I talk about this too. She's like, um, there's never not something fucking DEF CON for. She's like, it's, it's like, every, you know, like every day it's like a DEF CON. Like, and she goes, all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, you know, like everything is this. And I'm like, shit, I'm like, I just, you know, it's. I think yeah. you need to go back and watch the documentary, The Big Lebowski. <laughs> documentary. <laughs> and see what the dude would say. Well, I, you know, I, I kind of prefer the uh, Fast and Furious documentaries, <laughs> where you know. Right. Yeah. But those guys are always wound up. Just <laughs> yeah, those guys. Well, well, but I mean, you know, I mean, I, I always, uh, what was it, Mario Andretti talking about? It? He had never been so relaxed when he was driving 200 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. The world never made more sense. Mm-hmm. You know that type of stuff. So. But anyways, so I guess going on and I'm, you know, maybe I'm asking for a friend here. Uh, how would you know if you were locked in that parasympathetic mode? Like what are some symptoms and uh, it, just for a friend? Okay. So, uh, well, I think your friend you mean is locked in sympathetic, parasympathetic. Um, yeah, sorry. Be, yeah. You'd be kind of lethargic if you were locked in parasympathetic, but uh, sympathetic. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to talk about the mobility aspect in a second too. Posture plays a role in this um, and getting locked there because your rib cage position will impact the quality of your breathing. It's they, the, those are both intertwined kind of like chicken and egg, but um, your, your stress levels will be up your blood pressure, your heart rate, that, that constant feeling like, Almost like some of these people, I feel like I can see it coming off them. But the whole wound tight, um, feeling like everything, you're very reactionary. It's just, it's a very stressful state to be in. Um, You start to try to live in it like it's your normal. But those people, I think, also tend to have a ton of inflammation, right? Because all that cortisol production um, increases inflammation. There, I'm not a doctor though, so I don't, I don't want to start making stuff up here. This is stuff that I've learned, but uh, it's. Don't worry, the doctors don't even know this stuff, so don't even <laughs> yeah. worry about it. 
Uh, well, no, they'd be quick to just give you something for your blood pressure. You know, each of those symptoms that, that actually yeah, there's medication. tell well, the story. I think they did, uh, symptoms. they did a pretty interesting, and I'd, I'd have to dig it up, but I think they did a, a sample group where they brought in people that had a high blood pressure and had some problems, and they gave like half of a medication, and the other half they just had them do, I think it was like 10 to 15 minutes of meditation. Yeah. And the meditation worked faster and actually mm-hmm. was much better than like actually the heart, the meds. Because what ended up happening is the heart meds, I think, caused other problems that stressed yes. them out even more, like impotence. Mm. Like <laughs> that would be stressful. Yeah, no, and like they, they were more stressed out with the heart meds <laughs> that they couldn't hoist their sails anymore. <laughs> like I, I was like listening to this, and I'm like, Jesus, like, fuck, like, yeah. like <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so for those of you who can't see, like the look of disappointment <sighs> that was just on John's face was and, like. Priceless. At some point, like, and this is what, and you're going to see me do this, oh, what you're going to on today. Like, how did we get here? Like, like, how is it that? Faith palm. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, I think about it a lot. Like, how, like, how did we get to this place? And, um, you know, what I, I always laugh at is I sat, uh, or not always, but uh, the other, like, I was in Texas and I was flying back. And I said, I tell you this, I sat next to two Apple executives. No, no. And uh, so I, I, I didn't tell you this. I don't like, think so. So, so I'm, I'm sitting there and I, I, I got my kids and um, we're like sitting there and we're coloring and these two guys are like, oh shit, you, you color? I'm like, yeah, it's something that I do with my kids. We, uh, whenever we go to restaurants, they always give kids coloring books and this. So I started asking and now we color together and it's something that my daughters and I do. And so we were coloring on the plane and the guy's like, man, uh, everybody here is watching some form of screen or like everybody, you know, yeah. iPad. And so uh, I was like, yeah, we color. I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we're reading. I was like, oh, shit. And, uh, and um, the guy's like, what are you doing? I told him, oh, what do you do? He's like, oh, we're uh, executives for Apple. And I was like, shouldn't you be on your screens? And he's like, yeah, that's um, uh, that's a big no-no at Apple for the executives. They uh, don't want us to actually use our phone. We don't bring our phones to work. And like the guy started going through it, and he's like, we have a culture of uh, because the technology inhibits creativity. Sure. Yeah. So I'm sitting there looking at it and being like, like, you sons of bitches. You're crushing us. I I was like, so, you know, and he said Steve Jobs refused to have, uh, he had a landline in his house and uh, no technology for his kids. And and the guys went through and he's like, that's the culture uh, for the upper echelons. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was like, whoa. I just saw a thing on, no, we're way way down the rabbit hole, but I saw a thing on uh, Facebook or, you know, something. Yeah, that's that's the best podcast. But (laughs) it was like a time lock box where you put your phone in there and it locks and it won't open for the next, like you set the time, whether it's 90 minutes, 60 minutes. And I was thinking like, we should, we should probably get that and just drop our phone in there, lock it up for 60 minutes, and then see what happens next. Well, the uh, the other day, I got this thing. Actually, uh, my buddy Dave Brewer forwarded me this thing, and it's a um, – I forgot exactly what it's called. It's like a, a Mona or Emoji. But basically what you do is you can plug your phone into this receiver unit, and it makes your phone into a shortwave radio. Uh, short wave radio so like if you were in the mountains and had no reception i could plug mine in and yeah, you had one, like, right. like you could talk and i was sitting there watching he's like what do you think of this i'm like that's fucking terrible and he's like why i'm like well if you're in the mountains you have no reception isn't that you just put your phone in your pocket and you're like fuck it yeah i'm like now even when there's no cell reception i gotta have cell reception <laughs> i'm like it, it's yeah i mean we but if you think about um stimulation uh like you know the fact that we're always constantly stimulated i mean for i i almost wish with your work we could go back in time 30 years 
And if you could look at professional athletes, let's say in the 60s or the 70s in different ways opposed to professional athletes today, um, you know, like uh, I remember when I was a young guy, I first came in the NFL, they used to give us beers. I ever tell you this? Yeah. So when you got on the plane, they give yeah, you beers. Yeah. And then uh, when you get when you when you got off the plane, they give you beer. They give you beer all the time. And then they, they got rid of it because actually coaches got drunk and got into a fight. And then they, they made a, a deal in the NFL where they couldn't give out alcohol. I mean, dude, they used to hand this shit out, like drinks, the whole deal. But um, I, I wonder with professional athletes if social media and all of these other touch points have grown so big. I mean, think about pre-social media. I mean, all you had to do was media with, uh, with the newspaper. Mm -hmm. That was it. Radio. That's it. And then guys could go out and live their lives. I mean, did you really know what people looked like? You saw them in the paper. But now it's like you can't go anywhere without being something under it. So I just wonder in terms of touch points, it just everybody, I mean, not only professional athletes, is just everybody's fucking on all the time. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how that equates to your work where you're trying to offer people just the fact, like, let's take a deep breath. Let's get a little bit of balance in our lives. I want you to, you know, and whether or not you're putting them through these different movements to not only increase their performance, but also maybe just get them to fucking relax. Mm -hmm. So Dana, bring us back in. Where were we? Because I don't remember. All right. So <laughs> she's got no. This chick's way too smart. She knows exactly where we're fucking. What? Idiots. All right. We we jumped down. Well, we I don't know. It's like the rabbit hole that Bugs Bunny was in because we took a turn and we're in like Albuquerque or something now. But um, are you too old for that or too young for that? You know. Yeah. The what, um, bunny when he would jump in the hole and then he'd be like, come up and yeah, let me do this. Yeah, and he'd yeah, come yeah, up yeah, somewhere Saturday and morning cartoons. Space I don't remember, was he ever in Albuquerque? Because I've he'd been say, to Albuquerque. It's you know, when, that's when they were lost. He thought they were in Albuquerque. Well, oh, he'd say, I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. So right. I think we took a turn somewhere at Albuquerque. <laughs> I've been like, I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah. All right, but so yes, part of what I do has to do with physiology. Um, a lot of that gets uh, put into like the sleep programs and stuff like that. But the biggest impact I have when it comes to breathing now is really movement. And the, as I said, this was a game changer for, um, it, for how I taught yoga. So like Gray Cook impacted how I taught yoga initially in terms of like cueing and starting to really get this whole activation inhibition thing and, and, talking to athletes about what muscles they should be using and looking more at joints and mobility and range of motion, that kind of thing. But then breathing, holy crap, learning that breathing was our most fundamental movement pattern. You can do it, especially like um, Luke, your friend who might be stuck in their sympathetic nervous system. They're probably taking up to 24,000 breaths a day, 24,000. So anywhere from 20, to 24,000, maybe someone who breathes, you know, really well might be at 18,000. But what else are we doing besides maybe blinking? What other movement pattern is there that requires so much muscular effort? There isn't, there is not. And then the way that you breathe, so this is a, a spiel that I do pretty much all the time, um, especially when I'm introduced to a new group of athletes or strength coaches, but the quality of your breathing dictates the position of your rib cage. Think about how much real estate your rib cage takes up. That's almost 50% of your axial skeleton. What about your scaps? Your scaps have no, um, they, they have no choice but to sit on wherever the position of your rib cage tells them they need to be, right? So think about what impact that has on your shoulder girdle, 
your shoulder mobility and stability are impacted then by the quality of your breathing that you're doing up to 24,000 times a day. Your diaphragm is your primary muscle of respiration. And um, I'm going to run through some stuff that you guys probably already know, but just in case, like listeners don't know this, I, I don't want to uh, gloss over this part because it's important. So your diaphragm, and they can't see me, but you guys can. Your diaphragm um, attaches to your rib cage. So right up here. Calf cramp. Sorry. <laughs> Are you wearing a, are you wearing like a nightgown over there? What's going on? Is that like an evening yeah. gown? What is that? Are you kidding? This is I'm a kidding, radio. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Radio. She's like, for the listeners. Yeah, it's for the <laughs> listeners. She's actually wearing this right. red necklace outfit. It's really strange, but <laughs> it's a Raider and so um, Raider Project. You know what the Raider Project is? Raider Project uh, T-shirt. Does that have to do with uh, Sean Connery or uh... no veterans? Oh, bet you. Yeah, look it up. They they rock. Anyway, okay. So yeah, so American flag. Um, I've got going on here, but your rib cage. So your diaphragm is a, a thin muscle, and it attaches to your rib cage, but it runs down through your hip flexors. A lot of people don't know that, and it attaches to your lumbar spine. It has an asymmetrical attachment, so it that means that it has a larger attachment on the right side of your lumbar spine than it does on the left. I'm not going to get a whole lot into the asymmetries because that's a rabbit hole. We don't have time to jump down, but just keep that in mind. A lot of times when we see low back pain, that's more on one side than the other or a rotated pelvis, the diaphragm can play a part in that because usually a rotated pelvis tends to be rotated um, from left to right. And it's that pissed off tonic diaphragm that's pulling you in your center of mass over into your right hip. But I digress. Let's go back to this diaphragm. How does it work now? So when you inhale, it flattens and pulls down here. So imagine it like a, a plunger. And so it's like pressure that will then pull the air in. When you exhale, it domes up here inside of your, your rib cage. It has to have a cage to dome, right? John, you following me? Okay. All right, so it has to have a cage to dome. So that means your ribs have to be able to come in. Now, we've got the split in our rib cage right here where the diaphragm attaches. These ribs are designed to move. That's why there's a split there. So when you inhale, they actually go out like this. When you exhale, they go like this. I'm going to show you um, just a couple of breaths, what the movement is in a second. Uh, but there's something I wanted to say. And now, of course, I freaking lost it. So hopefully it'll come back to me. Where we all right, so when I breathe, though, um, I, I know that a ton of well-intentioned yoga instructors and, oh, I remember what I was going to say, but lots of people want to, um, want to get people to breathe deeper and stop being so chest-oriented, so they tell you to belly breathe. I want to punch people in the face when they say that because that's another one of those. Remember in the beginning, we were talking about how people dumb down um, how our body works, like we're mm -hmm. too stupid to understand it, so we make up shit. Like... Oh, gee, breathe into your belly. Well, guess what? You don't have lung tissue in your belly unless you eat it. You can't breathe into it then. So there's no lung tissue there. Well, it's like there's some Scottish delicacy. Uh, yeah, haggis. Yeah, that haggis. right? Yeah. It's like sheep lung. Right? Yeah, no, it's, uh, they stuff a bunch of stuff in a, uh, I believe it's a sheep's, is it sheep lung or sheep colon or? 
bladder. It's, yeah, no, but, it's got uh, it's got to be a lung. There's got to be a lung because there's so anyway. But that's <laughs> the only way you're going to get lung in your stomach, and it's still not going to work that way. So so why are we directing people to breathe into an area that you cannot put air into? If there's air in your stomach, guys, that's gas, and it's not going to come out the way that you think it should. So. I'm going to put my hands on my lower ribs, and this is how I train everybody. So the, that part of your ribs that splits, and then can you see me? Yeah, you can see them. I'm not going to move my hands. My ribs are. So when I inhale, my ribs move out laterally. They externally rotate. When I exhale, they come in. So do you see that? And yeah. John? You're going a little bit like this, right? So now I want to go back to my point of the diaphragm, right? If it's, you're not using it, you're going to recruit accessory breathing muscles because we have to breathe up to 24,000 times a day. So if we're not using the diaphragm to pull the air in or the diaphragm's only partially able to pull the air in because the rib cage isn't moving at all, then we're going to recruit muscles in our anterior shoulder, our pecs, our neck, our upper back, and remember, 24,000 times a day, they're gonna be firing to hold your rib cage up and to help pull the air in. And I'm exaggerating like how that movement would go, but it's happening over and over. I mean, do you know anybody with a tight neck, uh, upper traps that just won't shut off, right? That's really hard to find your lower traps, you're just using your lats all the time because you can't use your lower traps because your upper traps are on all the time. You guys know. I, I, I got a friend like that. No. Do you have a friend like that? Well, yeah. No, they, um, right? So I, I think mine's injury induced. Uh, so we were playing, like years ago, we were playing in St. Louis, and uh, our dipshit offensive coordinator called the same play three times in a row. That defense alignment are stupid, but they're not dumb. Three times, play. yeah. Yeah, like three <laughs> times is a little much. And I ended up getting hit like this and loaded back this way. And uh, like, basically messed up my neck. I mean, it herniated a disc and um, I couldn't like, I was literally like this. And so I came off and I was like, I can't look around, dude. Like I can't play. Oh. And so it was preseason and they took me out. And um, then like the next day I came in and they brought in like a, you know, a Cairo and osteopath or whatever. And the dude cracked my neck and actually kind of like this. And I was like, Oh, instantly better. But ever since then um, I have lost range of motion in my right shoulder. Oh, and so, and it's literally like my lat is locked all the time, like to the point where I, I went to a, a doctor pretty recently and he was like, uh, we went through the cervical spine and he's like, if this, you know, and he kind of went through the cervical spine and he's like, if this right here, I think it was a C8. Nope. Uh, this or whatever. Right at the junction. Here. Yeah, I forgot where he pointed, but he's like, basically, this one ties to your lat. And he's like, I can't get your lat to release to the point where he goes, I can't get your hand in, the head over. And he goes, we work on everything. So my next thing is an MRI to have him look. And he's like, I have a feeling uh, that, you know, whether or not it looks like, well, I mean, or I don't know what it's going to look like. Frankly, uh, I'm a little, don't like to get MRIs or x-rays because I don't really, I mean, I feel fun and I don't. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. a little range of motion, I'm okay. I'm, Everything's I'm like, fine. Nothing's yeah, wrong. Well, right. well, I mean, after you play in the NFL, then you have to go to these doctors and you're sure. looking at these things. And I remember the last time I went to a doctor like this, I went for my shoulder. and Or, uh, no, it was for my knee. And a guy looked at me, he's like, um, I was like, so what do you think? He's like, well, I'll probably get you in for a knee replacement. I'm like, but well, my knee doesn't hurt. He's like, why the fuck you hear that? I was like, well, I'd like a little more range of motion. And I got this bone chip in the back. And the doctor's like, no, nah, we don't do a knee replacement. And I was like, 
all right, then go fuck yourself. And I left and I never went back. And um, I mean, the problem becomes is, uh, uh, you know, like, yeah, I'm fucking over it. But so now I got to get an MRI. But yeah, I do know what you're saying about the fact that like, I think what happens is, is as people get injured and have these problems, they end up having these workarounds and these, and you know, are able to do some things. So now you don't know how to breathe and everything else just kind of adapts. Right. So there's auxiliary. Now that that upper trap doesn't necessarily, uh, isn't necessarily impacting his breathing because of the the reason that it was caused. But when I saw him though, attempting to move his ribs, there was a lot of pull here. I think I was sitting there doing this, trying to reach back. He's pretty peck heavy in terms of pulling up there, but let me finish my little spiel. And then, uh, and then we'll go from there. Cause I want to explain to you what happens when we change this. And you know, those parlor tricks I told you I do. So, um, one of the misconceptions, uh, a, another misconception besides the belly breathing thing that drives me nuts is, um, that diaphragmatic breathing is only deep breathing. And that is not true. That couldn't be further from the truth, right? Because that's like saying, um, uh, like, so your bicep is the muscle that flexes your elbow, right? but I only use my bicep when I do this. I don't use my bicep when I only go this far. That's not true. Like if I'm only gonna go that far, then am I gonna keep my arms straight and move from my shoulder? But that's the equivalent of what's happening. If people only focus on the diaphragm for deep breathing, but then for the rest of their, the regular breathing they do throughout their life, they're breathing from up here instead of, and they take the diaphragm out of it. And so that's unfortunate. So now if I'm pulling all of these muscles in for that 24,000 times a day as accessory breathing muscles, they are not available to me for their primary roles, right? And they're pissed off and they're tight. And so they're going to impact shoulder mobility and stability in a big way, measurable way. So um, one of the things that I learned in PRI, now they do a lot of, it it was designed initially more for clinicians. I'm not a clinician. Um, The first PRI uh, course I went to was postural respiration. I've since taken that like three times because it was so clinician heavy. And here I am, I'm a yoga instructor with a degree in sociology. And I'm like, what the, I'm like Googling stuff. What the hell is a brachial chain? I have no idea what any of this is. There's smoke, fire, whatever coming out of my head. I, I, I retain like 10%, but it's a good 10%. But they do all of these things, all of these, um, you know, they're activating this, they're inhibiting this, they're, they're changing everything to change ribcage position and restore breathing. And then they showed that they could change internal shoulder rotation. Again, I'm working in pro sports, so I've got a ton of guys in a room a lot of the time. I mean, a lot of guys I work with one-on-one, but when I'm in a team setting, I've got 30 guys, and let's say baseball, I've got 30 guys in a room, and, uh, you know, 10 are Latin American, and I can say Ariba, which means up. I, so I'm screwed. I've got to be able to show them how to do this. Lowest common denominator, I can be having them, PRI is kind of famous for blowing up balloons and doing some funky stuff. I'd be laughed out of the weight room. Um, so I'm going to show them quickly. So I figured out that if I teach them how to move their ribs, if I put them in a bridge position, a glute bridge position um, with a block between their legs because I need their toes forward. So I've got to get their adductors to turn on a little bit so they're not rotating out like that. I get their transverse abdominus on. So I make them exhale completely, bring their ribs down, and then use transverse abdominus and glutes to 
posteriorly pelvic tilt up. And I always say, so I could drive a matchbox car under your ass, right? They get that. Get them up there. And then I take them through two rounds of five breaths. That's it. So 10 breaths. Um, I'll grab two of the guys before we start the breathing and I test their internal shoulder rotation. It's awesome when they're pitchers. Um, and there's a bigger change on the left because remember I told you there's asymmetry play, play that we're not going to talk about now because it's just a little bit too much, but I know I can get a bigger change on the left. So this is my parlor trick to get buy-in on the breathing. So I test the internal shoulder rotation. I do two rounds of breathing, then I retest it so everybody can see it. And I can take a guy who's here and now with his hands on the floor. And everybody's like, hold the phone. But now as soon as he gets up and he goes back to that pattern, that, that internal rotation is gone. You've got to retrain that. And we've got to work towards that. It doesn't take long, long though, because the body wants to be functional. But I say to them, did we stretch a shoulder? Because I get, oh, I get yoga instructors who email me all the time. Can you give me good shoulder stretches for pitchers? And I'm like, none. Leave their shoulders alone, please. Like, seriously, it's the most shallow joint. Like, no. Um, get their scaps to function right. Get them to breathe. But anyway, so, um, so I do that with guys. And now they're like, wait a minute. So this breathing stuff, there's something to it. And then my other one, now this isn't, a, um, this isn't a PRI thing. I just started to figure out, though, you know, we know that rib cage position impacts a lot of stuff. One of the other things I say, especially um, – and like in all sports, I say, okay, if my rib cage is jacked up and I've got ribs flared out like this, what did I just do to my core muscles? I lengthened and inhibited them. And now muscles work in chains. So that's going to run down into my um, hips as well. And it's going to inhibit rotation in my hips. But I'm going to restore power when I bring my ribs back down. And this is neutral. So they start to get that. But then to illustrate the hip rotation, I have them test internal hip rotation and not like a physical therapist. We basically just sit down on the mat, take our arms out at our sides and windshield wiper the legs back and forth. I say, okay, how's your internal hip rotation? Do you, can you kind of get what I'm saying there? How does it feel? See where you are in terms of hitting the floor. Then I take them up and we do a 90 second and I call it rib cage repositioning drill. But all it is, is getting them to get that whole internal rotation. Remember I said the diaphragm cannot dome and relax unless it has a cage. They have to exhale and bring the ribs in like this. They need to bring the ribs in, back, and down. They need obliques to turn on, internal obliques to turn on. They need transverse abdominis. So I have two ways that I do that, either from a, side, a modified side plank with a big focus on this, or I do it from standing up, and it looks like a yoga stretch, and I think they might even do this one in Bikram, where you take your arm above your head, and then you go over to the side like this. So I bring them over to the side. I make sure they're not sticking their asses out. You can't have your low back extensors on. You've got to have transverse abdominis. I have them take their hands to the ribs on that side and focus on internal rotation and we do like five good exhales so it's inhale but then focus on the exhale and i want you guys to get those ribs in turn the obliques on treat it like a crunch so instead of like in yoga where what would that have been a stretch right oh feel your side body release and open up focus on like a side crunch bring those ribs in do it on the other side i do left right left because like i said there's this asymmetry thing going on so we do that doesn't take more than 90 seconds. I put them back down on the floor. Check your internal hip rotation. Usually I've got knee after knee hitting the ground. 
And then, and even the Latin guys who had no idea what the fuck I just said, they're like, oh my God, what, you know? And uh, one of the guys calls that my drop the mic movement. And it is, it's, it's, but again, it's a parlor trick. They get up, they walk away from me, they start breathing again, they get their rib cage jacked up, that's gone. So I try to get them to understand, listen, I'm showing you what you're capable of, but we need to retrain this. But it all comes back to breathing because just like 24,000 times a day, you can be messing yourself up. What if 24,000 times a day, you're reinforcing good patterning, you're reinforcing stability and mobility? And that's what breathing can do for you. So that's, that's why I say it is a superpower. And the, those are the big things that I teach. That's why it's the most fundamental movement pattern. It's where I start, whether I'm with a group or if I'm working with someone initially, that's the initial part of my assessment. How are you breathing? Because regardless of what your issue is, if I don't fix the breathing, I, I'm, you know, I'm not fixing, I'm not putting um, anything on a good foundation. Because if the breathing is messed up, even if your knee problem isn't tied to the breathing, and I'm sure some component of it would be, right? If I only look at the knee, and I might even try to fix the hip, if I didn't fix the breathing, look at how it's all tied together. I'm missing a huge component. So that is, that's why, like that whole PRI thing, huge game changer. I am not a PRI disciple, though. There are a lot of people who are all about, oh, PRI versus DNS. You guys have heard of DNS? <laughs> there's a lot out in the movement world there's a lot of well this is better than that and this is better than that and you know who's right and who's wrong i like to just go with let me learn as much as i can from different um different modalities different experts and then i'm going to take what resonates with me what i can actually share with people that make sense but i'm not going to be anybody's disciple so i know i threw out like what Jeet Kune Do. Yeah, uh, Bruce Lee. Jeet Kune Do. Uh, you know, uh, basically learn everything, keep what's useful, discard what's useless. Also, which is the uh, the practice of the Fremen from from Dune, the Dune books. So you heard us talk about it before. The Fremen. I don't know if you're a sci-fi nerd, but uh, one of, <laughs> one of my favorite set of books I read was the Dune books, and uh, that was the Fremen. So. All right. All right. Well, yeah. So, um, any questions about that? No, I got like 8,000 things I have to look up. So, uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I've been like sitting here like trying to like Google the uh, Posterior Restoration Institute and this DNS. I mean, it, uh, it, it's pretty interesting. I mean, this, this aspect of breath and breathing and actually using it as a performance tool is, uh, I mean, it's kind of caught some, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm seeing it from like four or five different places, and I see that people are really into it. Uh, it just really goes back to, I think, understanding movement. I mean, mm -hmm. if, if you can, I mean, we talk about, let's say for, let's say lifting weights, the idea of bracing, you know, the idea of like, hey, yeah, I want to draw in my trunk and I want to try to create this, you know, almost like a, uh, you know, a thoracic belt, but yet you watch people and they lift this way and then they get in, in, into an extension and then all of a sudden they're like overextended and mm -hmm. they wonder why I post me the idea of like, breathing and pulling down and dropping that top ab and then being able to draw in your trunk and being able to like, when the analogy I use is imagining like trying to like put clamps on your spine opposed from just filling your belly full of air, which you can't do and which drove me crazy where people say fill your belly with air and the idea that I'm going to push my belly out to try to brace that way. 
which to me, I think is, uh, is turns the, off your abs, right? Well, like well, what people do is they put on belts. So they use weightlifting belts, right? And drive their belly as hard as they can against the belt to try to brace. Uh. And that's a, a West side barbell deal. But for me, um, I always thought about basically drawing in and like the idea of like creating, um, like I said, like, uh, a muscular clamp around my spine and you should be able to have that position all the time. And the, the thing when I watch guys get back injuries, it was like they were in a bad position and they weren't ready to get a hit and which is, is where people get hurt in football. So if you're not, if you don't see the hit coming, that's when people get fucked up really bad. So for me, I was always had this idea that if I could get hit from any position at what would allow me to do it. And I got that from boxing where like the idea where you have to be fast and loose, but you can't be so loose that if you were to take a shot, you're not expecting to get knocked unconscious. So, but it's, uh, I mean, there's magic in this stuff. I mean, it's, uh, it's just how do you wade through the nonsense? Because it seems like there's so much information. And, I, and how do you, how do you decide what's good, what's useful, and what's just, you know, like discern, like, uh, like how do you get to really – like, I, I, you know, as I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about, all right, if your goal is to increase performance, increase range of motion, increase function, all that, you got to find what helps you reach that. And you said with your little parlor tricks, it seems like it helps to do that. And that's also good buy-in for the professional athletes who are like. Yep, instant feedback. Yeah, well, they're, you know, yeah. I mean, they like shiny objects. Ooh, shiny. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's well, and you can talk at them all you want. And you can tell them things and everybody is telling them something is going to be better for them. I can show them. But then the important thing is for them to understand you've got to train it. But that's, that's um, a process, but it's way easier to get them to buy into that process when they've actually been able to feel the result. And now, like, if I can get there every day, and then it's become, it becomes measurable because otherwise, what I'm doing, it's not really measurable. It's not tangible. So I worked really hard. It's taken me, you know, 12 years or more to get to a point where I, I have something where I feel like, no, 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 here's something tangible. Take this. And so when you're weeding through, you know, what's bullshit or what's just you know, I want to stay in my lane too. As I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a physical therapist. I don't want to try. Lots of teams have physical therapists. Um, you know, I sure I'm a certified strength coach, but I'm not a strength coach. I just, I want to have an understanding and I want to be a compliment to the team and I want to stay in my lane. And so to weed out what's bullshit and what works, it's, um, what is it? Necessity is the mother of invention. So here I am in all these different scenarios and I've got to figure out how I, how can I take what I've learned and make it be effective and efficient. And that is, that's, so that's become like, how can I do that? And that's exciting, right? Because it gets better and better. And the, the stuff that I'm sure works now, a year from now, I'm going to learn something new and it's going to get better. And um, if, if it doesn't, then I'm doing something wrong, right? Because there's, there's always something new out there. But it, there's so many things, John, that you've said that have totally resonated with, with me where like, I, I feel like you would get this. I, I, I think like 30 years from now, we're all going to be sitting there going, why, why was it like breath was this new innovation? Breathing was an innovation. Like the fact that breathing and mindfulness meditation can help us more than a whole bunch of pharmaceuticals. Like it's fucking common sense. Like this is our body. Breathing is the well, one thing that you cannot live without. If, why don't we start fixing that? Well, the, uh, 
you know, the age old, like nothing is new. I mean, uh, I remember in geez, 1996, uh, I went to Berkeley and one of my buddies, uh, who wasn't a football player got really into Qigong, which is, um, there's uh, martial arts, but there's also what they call like internal martial arts where you basically develop your chi and your internal power. So he gave me all these books on internal martial arts and he like, like went and trained with this dude in San Francisco and they had these like, you know, like four day excursions where they lived on like nothing, but I don't know, like pine, like drinking water from pine cones. I mean, some crazy shit <laughs> up in like the Berkeley Hills. And like to the point where he believed that if you went through this process, you could develop your inner strength and your chi and you could heal your body. You could like break things with your four. I mean, like he got <laughs> fucking deep in this. And here's the thing, like most people poohooed it. And for me, I was like, how long has this stuff been around? He's like, they've been practicing this stuff for thousands of years and went through it. And like, uh, as I started talking to like, um, I, I, about a couple years ago, I went to a, um, uh, acupuncturist because I, I kind of, I like the idea of acupuncture. I think it makes sense to me. I just don't know if it actually works for me in some ways, but I went to this acupuncture guy. Um, and he was like, uh, uh, this martial arts master dude. And we started talking about Qigong and the information that I had read in the books and everything, the guy was like a huge practitioner of it and who was like kind of impressed that I knew mm -hmm. a little bit about it, but started talking about like developing like your internal force and your chi. I mean, they've written about that stuff in thousands of years. I mean, there's, there's temples in, you know, in China and Japan that have talked about this and what they really start with is the idea of meditation and breathing and control your breath and like meaningful breath. The idea that if you can take, God, what was it? 60 breaths in five minutes. I remember the thing like you instantly fall asleep. And like, I mean, just talking about, uh, you know, so much of this stuff has existed. And unfortunately it's almost like the smarter we get, uh, we get the more stuff we forget. Uh, like I, you know, I mean, we, we do this all the time. I mean, I, I read something and I'm like, God, where did I read that? And I'll go back and be like, Oh, Fred Hatfield talked about that 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, it's just the fact that, you know, there's so much information, so much coming at us that we almost like forget. And then you're like, Oh, wait a minute. Oh, look at this new thing. I mean, the fact that people are talking about breath is like a new thing. I'm like, come right. on. Dude. I mean, uh, I was just, you know, or people are teaching a seminar and being like, like, uh, these guys are teaching contrast seminars, hot and cold. I'm going to put you in like 200 degree heat and I'm going to put you in ice baths and you're, we're, we're going to do this for three to five minutes. We're going to do this for two hours straight. And I'm like, Sean Landetta, 1999 told me the story, you know, about, uh, uh you know, them doing contrast baths with Lawrence Taylor. Like, uh, you know, like, like none of this stuff is new and it's like, uh, you know, unfortunately I just, yeah, I mean, I just think now if we can start to take this stuff that has been, shown to work but strip it down to some science that like evidence-based science that helps other people buy in you know for me I need that so that's why you know all the yoga people will get mad at me because I've said so much about it being esoteric and BS and whatever and and the thing is it's just how I am I need some evidence-based science. I need, I need to be able to say, okay, I see how this impacts the central nervous system. I see, you know, it just, it's the, it's easier for me then to explain it. I'm not asking people to take a leap of faith because it's, it's, it's just easier. I guess I, I want to be effective and efficient. So I need the evidence-based aspect of it. I want to get people to start doing it. I don't want it to just be like this perception of, okay, the only people who do stuff that Dana teaches 
are, you know, the ones who are, woohoo. No. So I think that as we go on, um, increasingly as we can start to tie some of that stuff into science, more people will buy in, but then it'll be the giant facepalm of look at this was here all along. And we took this roundabout route of let's poison everybody with a ton of pharmaceuticals to get there. But I think we will get there if we don't kill each other first. <laughs> yeah. That's always a risk. Well, I don't know. I, from, I, I didn't watch the debates last night, but I uh, guess on the debates, it seems like we're pretty close. Oh, all right. Let's not go there. And we've been on forever. I feel like I've just had just a conversation with a bunch of really cool badasses. Thank you. Real sweaty. Yeah. It's, it's like 90 degrees in, in our office. We're, uh, we're we, we, uh, the guy next is a uh, prints t-shirts. And so they print the t-shirts and they dry the t-shirts. And so I'm pretty sure his thing vents into our office because we'll be sitting here and it'll be all right. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, it's like 90 degrees in here, dude. Like it was like 99 the other day. And I went over and I was like, dude, turn your dryers off. I fucking get it, dude. You don't have to try to sweat us out of here, bro. How are they supposed to make shirts? <laughs> it's a it's a pretty pivotal process to screen printing. We'll just leave them outside. Okay. <laughs> mm, I don't think that's going to work. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, Tex, did you have anything else you wanted to jump into? Uh, a lot. I, I think this calls for a part two because, I mean, we've been talking for almost two and a half hours here. So, I mean, uh, yeah. No wonder uh, I have to pee so bad. <laughs> Dana, we'd love to have you on again. Um, I don't know if we can book a time. I, mean, I know your schedule's kind of this, but we'd love to have you come back and maybe do a schedule too because uh, Tex, who is like a church mouse, didn't fucking pipe up at all with any of his questions. Good job, Tex. Well, one of us in this room couldn't stop talking. <laughs> yeah, you. I guess oh my God. <laughs> you guys are asking, here asking all these questions for your friend. Right. I have friends that you didn't know. You guys, uh, you know, and you guys are like in like the bad hair club. I don't know what's who's worse. What? Look at Tex over here. He's yeah, got like it's, it's called flow, John. You wouldn't understand. Uh, you know what? And I'm going for the running for his gump look. It takes time. Uh, <laughs> but Dana, thanks so much. Uh, I mean, we'll put up, you know, some of your social sites or anything and that stuff that we've, we've, you know, found on the internet, but is there anything that you want people to know closing words? I mean, where could they come check you out? What, what's hot right now? What do you want to talk about? Um, well, I haven't, I haven't updated my schedule yet because we're still working on some stuff, but definitely when the Perform Better schedule comes out, um, I'll be doing at least a couple of those. Uh, the NSCA National Conference is in Las Vegas, um, and I'm going to be speaking there. That's in July of next year. Uh, so, but just, you know, check my schedule. I'm going to be putting stuff up there. I don't really, I haven't had time to do a product. People are always asking me for a product. I do like, I do individual videos for teams. I do custom videos and stuff for teams, but I don't have like a generic product. Yeah. When I do have time, I'm putting out content on um, CNN. And a lot of what we've talked about, I have articles on CNN. There's one called um, Breathing Your Stress Busting Superpower. So for your friend, Tech, mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was me, Luke. Luke, Luke yeah. yes, for your friend Luke. Um, he, he should check that one out. And then um, Breathe Better to Move Better is an article I did for them that talks a little bit about the stuff we started to get into in terms of your ribcage position, some exercises you can start doing. Um, oh, man, Tex, you had the questions about travel. I do have an article up there 
what was it? Uh, tame travel tension. And it talks about some strategies for that. And it's based on um, some of the stuff that I put together for uh, pro athletes. Everything that I put up on, on CNN is based on what I've been doing with pro athletes. Uh, there's a, a Oh, what is it? Like six minutes of yoga to sleep better. And again, we have to call it yoga. It looks like yoga, but when you start to read the instructions, you realize that I'm kind of inhibiting, like we talked about, like low back muscles and different things. But um, that's that's another one up there. There's just there's a lot of content up there. If you just search my name and CNN, a ton of this stuff will come up, and you'll notice I'm efficient. Like I've got. Five minutes of morning. I don't think anybody, unless yoga is your sport or your thing, which I totally get. And you know, like they're a CrossFit disciples. It's their sport. That's their community. That's their thing. I respect that. It's not my thing. I'm taking yoga. I'm applying it to sports. And I'm also trying to take the best of yoga and get people to apply it to their lives to get out of chronic pain. I've done I've done stuff on uh, yoga for chronic pain. like, And I always call them yoga-based techniques. But if you search that, you'll find a ton of stuff up on CNN. Um, but, oh, I was going to say five minutes of morning yoga. So, again, it, it's not yoga, yoga. It could also, it's, that five minutes of morning yoga could be a dynamic warm-up um, warm for someone. I'm taking your body through all planes of motion and most fund, fundamental movements. Um, I think in terms of, like, Dan John's fundamental movements, because I, I really like him. A lot of his stuff has influenced me. Um, what... The only one I don't have, I think, is a, uh, a – maybe I do have a push. I don't know. I don't remember. You'll have to look it up. But, <laughs> like, there's a, there, it's been three years. I've done, like, 50 articles for them, and I just try to do practical application stuff that would work for athletes, but it will work for regular people. Totally. So back pain, but there's one up there on that, sciatica, tons of different stuff. Cool. Sounds great. Well, you heard it, people. Go to the Google. Get on it. Get search, it. search for it. So, thanks a lot, Dana. Thank you uh, very much. Again, it was a great show. We have to get around to going. So we'll get we'll get that figured out eventually. So. All right. Cool. Thank awesome. You. See you guys. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Dana Santes can be found on her respective social media under the name Mobility Maker. A quick search for her name on CNN's website will yield tons of articles on how to utilize yoga for improved quality of life. Until next time.